You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. So has anyone else noticed uh, that the world seems to be collapsing around us? Anybody else? Maybe I'm just on TikTok too much and I see it kind of in my scroll, but it seems like everywhere we look, the world is kind of collapsing or at least being shaken and feeling really fragile in all kinds of different ways. Right? We've, we've witnessed that in government. I don't need to spend too much time on that, but we all know that's the truth. We've witnessed that in pretty much every sphere of our society. We've seen the foundations of places like Hollywood and the entertainment industry be shaken to their core over the last couple of years. Silicon Valley, I mean, the corruption there, Wall Street, even like even the core of the church has been shaken in different ways, especially when the church aligns itself with the culture and with the world. And by the way, this happens on both the left and the right, where the church aligns itself in unhealthy ways with the broader culture and the foundations of the church are shaken. And as I look at kind of where our world is at right now, like all of the chaos and all of the crisis and all of the things that keep coming up over and over again, the 24-hour news cycle, the the just kind of fragile feeling of everything right now. I just want to offer an observation. One of the things that I've noticed is that as a culture, as a whole, that when crisis hits in our world, we have a tendency to run to the quickest fix possible. We need a place immediately to direct our anger, to direct our outrage, to kind of run to, to, to find a quick fix. We do this all the time. I mean, just think about even uh, the, the shooting that happened in, in Texas last week at Uval- in Uvalde. Like, we need a place to direct our anger, which is why so many kind of impassioned and rage conversations around guns and mental health and things like that kind of emerge because we're looking for a quick fix solution to crisis. We've had a national debate in our country over the last couple months around the issue of abortion and unplanned pregnancy and the overwhelmed foster care system and how, in many ways, as a culture, abortion has kind of become a quick fix for a crisis situation. I'm not going controversial at all this morning. We're just uh, starting right off the bat. When we see failures of government all around us, we have a tendency to embrace the quick fixes of things like conspiracy theories or attaching ourselves to morally bankrupt leaders so long as they're exposing the evil on the other side. We do this all the time. We do this in our individual lives, too, when crisis hits. We attach ourselves to a new group of friends, a new lover, a new lover, a new church, (laughs) a new job, a new addiction, Isn't it true that in moments of crisis, it is human tendency to try to find the quick, easy fix, even if that quick, easy fix doesn't do a lot to provide long-term stability? We do this all the time. 
And uh, as I look at our world today, I, I just find myself asking the question a lot, what does a fragile world need from the church right now? What does a fragile world need from the church right now? Here's what I believe, and hint, it's not another quick fix. What a fragile world needs from the church right now is a steady hand that can only come from an abiding relationship in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. I believe what a fractured and fragile world right now needs from the church is not more outrage, not more taking one side over another and being blind to the evils of your side while pointing out all the evils. In the, what I believe the, the world needs right now from the church more than anything is the steady hand that comes only from an abiding relationship in Jesus Christ. And that's what this new series is all about. It's about how do we cultivate this thing that is steady in the midst of the storm? How do we grow this thing that is rooted in, the, in a society where everything else seems to be uprooted? How do we become those types of people? And as we open today, as we open this new series, I, I want to begin by just asking this question here. What's the difference between a fragile church and a rooted one? What is the difference between a fragile church and one that is rooted to weather the storms, you're not going to like the answer very much. The answer is the difference is in discipline. It's in discipline. It's in what we actually commit our lives to over the long haul. Not the quick fix, not the kind of you know, flavor of the day or the 15-second soundbite, what makes a difference between a fragile church and a rooted one in the midst of a, a very fragile culture is the way we choose to engage in disciplining ourselves. There's a theologian named Dallas Willard who, who says it this way about discipline. He says, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, right? We all want stability, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the future of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it reality. That is a, a dense quote, but what he's saying there is that there is a massive difference between quick fixes and a rooted discipline mentality. Some people call this a long obedience in the same direction. Friends, there is something to be said for a faithful church that shows up when they don't want to show up. There is something to be said for obedience to Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense, even in a culture where it doesn't make sense. And so who is this new series for? Well, if you're here, and maybe you have roots in Jesus that you want to grow deeper and more firm this new series is for you. If you're here and you feel like your life is more like a, a leaf being tossed in the wind and you're just looking for something stable to grab onto, something stable to hold onto, my hope is that this series provides some of those tools for you to be able to grab onto something stable. And even if you're here and you don't buy a word of what I'm saying or any of this God stuff, I want to show you how Jesus actually teaches us to live in communion and friendship with him in a way that creates true stability in our lives that, to be quite honest, we don't see a lot in our culture these days. And so what I want to do as, as we begin is I want to take a look at 
one of Jesus' teachings that is uh, way lesser known than others. Okay, so this is the type of teaching that you read it and you get done reading it and and you kind of scratch your head. Like nobody gets tattoos on their arms of the words Jesus is going to say that we read today. Okay, like this is an obscure teaching, but buried beneath the surface of it is some incredibly powerful and impactful truth that if we're willing to kind of excavate out, man, it can change your life. And so if you will, join me in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 21. Jesus is speaking with a group of Jewish people, and they're having a debate about demon exorcism, not where you thought I was going with this. Okay, they're having a debate with Jesus about demon exorcism. And Jesus says something really interesting and I want you to pay attention. Hint, he's not actually talking about demon exorcism here. There's a, there's a truth deeper than that. So let's read this. Jesus says this. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And then he goes into a parable here. He says this, when the unclean spirit or the demon has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. And so basically what Jesus is saying here is when a demon is taken out of a person, it goes wandering around in the desert and it cannot find another human to inhabit. And so this is what happens next. And it comes, or it says, and it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. That is a weird story. Anybody else, like upon first reading, it's like, what are you saying here, Jesus? What what are you actually getting at here? You see, this story, like I said, is not actually about demon exorcism. Jesus is getting at something way more profound and way deeper on the surface. This is what I believe Jesus is getting at here. This principle here, that what you attach yourself to is more important than what you detach yourself from. So in his story, this demon leaves this guy, and he comes back to try to invade this guy's house once again, and the demon cannot get in. Right, what Jesus is saying here is there's a lot of different ways to lose a demon in your life. There's a lot of different ways to go and find healing or rid yourself of a sin pattern or rid yourself of a toxic relationship. There is a lot of ways to get the bad out of your life. You can do all of that without a move of the Spirit of God. You can do all of that apart from Jesus. You can go to a doctor and find healing or, or at least some level of treatment for a sickness. Like There are things that you can experience apart from giving your life to Jesus. You can detach yourself from all sorts of things. But what Jesus is saying is that at the end of the day, if all you do is detach yourself from something and don't focus on what you are attaching yourself to, you will end up better off or worse off than you were before. Let me reread what Jesus says in verses 25 and 26 here. He he says this, And when the demon comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And so then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Friends, the only way to experience true stability in the midst of crisis 
is not simply to detach from the wrong things, but to attach yourself to the right thing. Jesus is saying, unless you attach yourself to me, you're just going to find yourself off worse, worse off than before. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Okay, so I have this stupid, stupid plug, and I cannot figure out for the life of me why this plug will not work. None of the lights turn on. Like, see, I try it, and none of them work when I try this plug. Can anybody help me figure out why this plug won't work? Well, well, maybe it's overloaded. Like, maybe there's too much stuff plugged into it, right? So I'm going to just unplug a lamp and see if that helps. Okay, let me try. Maybe it's still overloaded. Oh, that one's stuck. That's why. Like, if all I do is focus on detaching, I look like an idiot that's just got the plug plugged into itself. And we laugh about this with a lamp, but yet this is how so many of us approach life with Jesus that we'll, we'll have a problem area in our life and, and we'll detach and we'll kind of throw off, but we won't actually attach ourselves to the right thing, to the right one that provides true stability. Like, like maybe you grew up in a family that was really toxic. There were a lot of toxic patterns. You've been part of a toxic relationship. And so you detach yourself from the unhealthy parts of that family, but then you attach yourself to a spirit of unforgiveness that just cycles in your life and never ends. We're getting intense today. Like, like maybe for you, you've detached yourself from letting others to con control you only to attach yourself to having an obsession with being able to control your own life. Jesus would say to you, you're worse off than you were before. You've just plugged the plug right back into itself. Or, or maybe for you, you detach yourself from impulsive spending patterns only to attach yourself to paralyzing fear anytime you have to spend money. Maybe for you, you've, you've even detached yourself from a sin pattern in your life. But what you've attached yourself to is a spirit of self-righteousness. I'm an uber-spiritual person where your chest is puffed up. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying what you attach yourself to is even more important than what you detach yourself from. You know, for me, I think about my life. I, I've spent years of my life thinking that if I could just detach myself from the wrong circumstance or the wrong situation, then I would find true happiness and joy and peace. But that's not how joy works. Joy is not simply about detaching ourselves from the wrong situation. It is about attaching ourselves to the stability that can only be found in the person of Jesus. As Jesus is speaking here, he's talking to a group of Jewish people. And if you know the story of Israel, you know that it is just story after story of Israel trying to get wrong, rid of the wrong detachments, right? Just trying to detach themselves. They've gone through multiple generations of reform and, and new laws and, and new ritual. But the truth is, unless the living presence of God came to dwell among them and be among them, Israel itself finds itself worse off than it was before. See, the temptation in this world is to attach ourselves to the next quick fix, 
the next leader, the next cultural movement, the next thing that's going to save our world. And what Jesus is saying here is who you choose to attach yourself to matters. It matters for true stability in your life that cannot be taken away. And so the question remains, how do we do this? How do we attach ourselves to Jesus? How do we live a lifestyle that attaches ourselves to the person of Jesus? Well, the good news is Jesus tells us in this passage pretty plainly. He goes on, and he's, he's explaining. He tells a story, and then this woman says something to him in the crowd. She says, and he's at, I'm just going to read it instead of trying to talk because words are hard. Uh, so verse 27 here. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. That is a weird thing to say to Jesus. Like, can you imagine if that's how we greeted each other at church on Sunday morning? Like, (laughs) blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast. Never mind. But then Jesus takes this really weird statement and he brings it all home. And he says this. But he said... Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is what Jesus is after. This one principle is what has the power to provide stability in your life that cannot be taken away by a storm, that cannot be taken away by loss, that cannot be taken away by who's in office or what political movement or cultural movement is kind of all the rage. That blessed is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it. Now, if I'm a Jewish person, listening to Jesus say this, listening to Jesus say, blessed is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it, my immediate thought would be, well, cool. I'm good. Like, I'm the best keeper of the word of God, hearer of the word of God, and and keeper of it. Like, like we keep the word of God so hard that we have it memorized. We built rules upon rules and tradition upon tradition and laws on top of laws. We got this. And it's as if Jesus is holding up the plug to them and saying, no, you don't. Because if all you're doing is, is just memorizing the right things to know and going through the motions and following the rules as you think they should be followed, and you're not actually becoming more like me in the process, you're not becoming a more loving person, you're not becoming a more compassionate, more giving, more generous person, if the fruit of the Spirit is not evidenced in your life, then this is all religion is for you. You're just plugged into yourself. And you may be able to puff yourself up And you may be able to point to how good of a hearer of God's word you are and how good of a follower of God you are. But if your life does not look more like Jesus, you are missing the point. And so am I. Because Jesus is saying what you attach yourself to is so much more important than what you detach yourself from. And this isn't a one-off teaching from Jesus. If you know how Jesus taught and you know how Jesus did ministry, like this theme comes up over and over again throughout his ministry, this idea of hearing the word of God and keeping it. Hearing and keeping for what? The sake of becoming more like Jesus. And there's a word that we give 
to this pattern, this rhythm. There's a discipline that is involved in this. It's a discipline called meditation. Some of you are like, this took a weird turn. Like, where are you going? Because for some of us, we hear the word meditation as a discipline, as a practice, and this is the picture that we get in our mind of like Easter, like my body doesn't even go like that, right? Like I cannot do a pretzel. When I say meditation, and when I talk about this idea of biblical meditation and the way Jesus taught us to practice meditation, <laughs> it's not that, okay? I mean like if you want to sit like that and whatever, that's fine. It's not that because the end goal of Eastern meditation is to absolutely empty yourself of all attachments, right? The end goal of Eastern meditation is complete and total detachment from the stuff of this world, like materialism, anxiety, fear, busyness, and that's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but what Jesus is getting at here, and the main difference when we talk about meditation, the way it talks about it in the Bible, is that it's not just about detaching, it's about what we are attaching ourselves to. Meditation throughout the scriptures is all about filling up our cup with the person of Jesus. And so when I talk about discipline being the key to a stable church in the midst of a fragile world, I'm not talking about just getting better at the motions, because that's not what discipline is. What I am talking about is a lifestyle that every single one of us are invited into that invites us to become more like Jesus, to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, to become people who can walk out in a fragile world with true stability that only comes from him. There's a, uh, a story of a guy who is um, like a Buddhist guy who is trying to teach his um, sensei, is that what, I don't know what they call it, his apprentice how to, how to meditate, right? And so this, this Zen master, every time the apprentice would come in, he would, he would be so busy and so concerned with all of the stuff that was going on around him. And, and so the sensei would just, or the, the master would just send him off and say, you know, go figure this out. Like, I need you to come back with a clear mind. Like, that's what we're doing here. And this, every time this, this guy would just leave and he'd be so busied every time these two would meet. And so to illustrate this, what this Zen master did is he took a cup of tea and he just started pouring the tea into the teacup. And he didn't stop. And the teacup began overflowing and overflowing to the point where it was obvious what he was getting at for his protege, his apprentice. He was saying, your cup is way too full. You need to empty yourself. This is a picture of Eastern meditation. And emptying yourself is a profoundly biblical concept. But it only goes so far as to what you are filling yourself with. You can empty yourself, and you can correctly assign blame for all of the problems going on in the world. You can attach yourself to a, a quick fix. But unless you are filling yourself, your cup, with the person of Jesus, you will not experience true stability in this world. And this idea of meditation, of meditating on God's word, this act of, of filling ourselves up with the person of Jesus, finds itself rooted throughout the whole of Scripture. Like, for example, the, the Psalms talk about this. Psalm 119 says this. It says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Going on. 
Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So they're talking about the righteous person. And on his law, he meditates day and night, night and day. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. In other words, meditation on God's word, on the very word of God, is what creates stability in our lives. The biblical image is that of a tree rooted. Reading on here in John 15, these are Jesus' words himself. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is not interested in making this complicated for us. He's not, right? Like, Jesus uses a K-I-S-S mentality sometimes with us. Like, keep it simple, stupid, okay? Like, that's what I need, at least. I don't know about you, but I need simple sometimes. And that's what Jesus is really getting after here. He's saying, we make this more complicated than it needs to be. If you want stability in your life, it comes from hearing his voice and doing what he says. You see the pattern in the scriptures? And I just pulled three of them. They're all over the place. That stability comes from not simply what you detach yourself from, but it's from what you attach yourself to. So maybe you're thinking, meditation, what? Like, I don't know how to meditate. I don't even know where to begin. I've never meditated before. To which I would say, yeah, you have. You do it all the time. You meditate day and night. It's a matter of what you're meditating on. Like, if you've ever received a text message before, and you've just replayed that over and over in your mind, whether it was a, like a compliment after a first date from someone you love or a criticism from somebody that you respect, like, you've meditated on that text message. If you've ever laid in bed at night awake and replayed the events of the day over and over in your mind, you know what it's like to meditate. We meditate all the time. The question is not if we meditate. The question is this, is what I'm meditating on attaching me to the person of Jesus? That's the question for this morning. Is what I'm meditating on attaching me to the person of Jesus? Have you ever tried loving somebody from an empty cup? It doesn't work, does it? Like, have you ever tried loving people apart from attaching yourself to the person of Jesus? At the end of the day, it just looks like this. Like one of the beautiful truths of following Jesus is that we never actually give love until we've received love. That the love we give and the way that we move into the world with compassion is by first truly understanding how deeply we are loved, and it's from that place that we go out, a full cup type of place, a plugged into the source type of place, that we go out into the world and can love unlovable people beyond just a social media, media virtue signal but actually get our hands dirty in love for other people. The same thing is true with, with forgiveness. Like, we don't forgive 
because it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I hate when we talk about forgiveness that way because it's not the way Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about forgiveness in the sense that you forgive because you understand the extent to which you have been forgiven, right? Meditation allows us to attach ourselves to this word, to the person of Jesus. And if you do not know the extent to which you were, have been forgiven, don't worry. This book will tell you over and over and over again how deeply you have been forgiven. And when you attach yourself to that characteristic of Jesus, you can go out into the world and forgive the unforgivable in other people. Because what you attach yourself to is way more important than what you detach yourself from. Same thing is true with generosity. Like, like when I give of my time and my resources and my energy on behalf of somebody else, that only comes from knowing how deeply generous God was to me in the first place. That I cannot outgive God. See, friends, this is the principle as we begin this new series today that who you attach yourself to is even more important than what you detach yourself from is what I'm meditating on pushing me to be more like Jesus or less like him because I go into my workplace I didn't practice this part hopefully this goes well uh, as you go into your workplace and you're experiencing people who are unlovable maybe you're wronged in some capacity Attaching yourself to the person of Jesus is what gives you the power and the ability to forgive that person. As you, you go into your family life and you have a, a cousin or a sibling that, that does not know Jesus, attaching yourself to the person of Jesus, understanding how deeply transformative Jesus' power is in your life is what empowers you to share that with the people around you that have not yet experienced that. This is what I'm getting at. Who you attach yourself to is way more important than what you detach yourself from. You know, as I look over the last couple of years of my life, um, I used to be in kind of an unhealthy rhythm when like news cycles came my way, where I would just get caught up in a lot of the kind of cultural outrage and, and the same exact stuff that most of our culture gets, attached, gets kind of attached to, right? And so I would be really quick to point out the evil in one side or the evil in the other and just like, and that, there's a place for that. I'm not saying that's all wrong. But what I've found in my life is that when something happens, like a crisis thing happens, like for example, this past week in Texas, my first reaction is not the need to go out and post something about it. It's actually to go to this and to say, God, you have something so much deeper in store for me that I want to attach myself. I want to meditate on this. Like I want to read stories of, of God, how you, how you pursue the vulnerable, how you handle injustice. How you move out in the world and, and treat evildoers, Lord. Like this, this is where I want to root myself. I did this whole journaling piece this last week solely on Uvalde. And I just processed through um, just this, these different stories in scripture. I was going to read it today, but it might be just a little bit too honest and heavy for <laughs> the end of this sermon. But like 
God brought real peace into my life and actually convicted me of some things from my life that I needed to see. Because I went here before going here. And the same is true. It's not just about cultural issues that we navigate. It's about relational situations, financial situations, anxiety-based situations that who you attach yourself to in the midst of crisis is so much more important than simply what you detach yourself from. And so here's how I want to end today. I want to invite the band back up, and I just want to teach you how, how to do this. Like, I want to give you a simple kind of cheesy acronym because every time I seem to do an acronym, people tell me they remember it. So we're going to do one as we end today. And I just want to give you this tool as you go into your week about how to actually practice this idea of, of meditation on scripture in your own life. And so here's the challenge for this week. I want to encourage you to take John 15, 5 through 12, that passage. I encourage you just to, to write that reference down. John 15, 5 through 12. This is the same passage where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. His invitation to abide. And just this week, meditate on that passage of scripture every single day, over and over again. Here's how you meditate on a passage. I made an acronym called PLUG, because <laughs> cheesy, right? So anyways, PLUG. The first one is you always start with the passage. So you begin by reading a short passage of the Bible. You can do this with a psalm, you can do this whatever, but I'm encouraging you to use John 15 this week. Read a short passage in the Bible out loud. Write it out if that helps you. Like you can draw it out if that helps you, but just get in there. Like Saturate your mind with that passage. That's the first step. The second one is to listen, to pay attention to what God actually might be saying. What do you notice about the verses? Like, what do you think the, the people experiencing that are experiencing real time when they hear that? How would Jesus' disciples respond to this language of, abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches? What verses, words, or ideas jump out at you? That's, that's the listen, right? You're just, you're listening for the voice of God. If you've ever had an issue hearing the voice of God in your life and your Bible is closed on a shelf, now you know why. Listening to the voice of God is about hearing his word. Hearing his word. Saturating your mind and your heart with his word. So that's a listen. The next one is understand. Ask God how he wants you to apply these verses, these passages to your own life. Pray for the power to apply what you've read. Here's the crazy cool thing. Today... June 5th is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is the day that we celebrate the empowering of the Holy Spirit for Jesus' church. Right? You can read about it in Acts 2 where the, the Holy Spirit comes down and appears like tongues of fire on the church. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? He empowers us to understand the things that don't always make sense in this book. There is a Holy Spirit who is advocating for you to understand what you are reading and listening to when you are listening for the voice of God. And then the last one here is go. Like, just go and do it. Don't make it that complicated. Sometimes we complicate this stuff so dang much. And sometimes God is just inviting us to go and do and put into practice 
what we just heard. And sometimes we'll make excuses like, well, he wasn't very clear. It's like, no, you just don't want to do what he wants you to do. Like, you didn't want to just sacrifice what he wants you to sacrifice or go serve who he wants you to serve or love the people he wants you to love. Go and do it. And I promise you that as you get into this rhythm, it's not a quick fix. It is a rhythm, a lifestyle that Jesus invites us into. You will notice more stability creeping into your life. More peace. More love for your haters and the unlovable people in your life. More forgiveness flowing out of you. More missional urgency of the people in your life that do not know Jesus. I promise you, if you put this into practice as a discipline in your life, it will change some things for you. So that's what we're entering into this summer. Is an invitation to discipline ourselves and let our roots grow deeper in the person of Jesus. And we're going to have a lot of fun while doing it. So let's pray together, and then we're going to respond in worship. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this body, this community. Thank you for the ways in which you have called us to give of ourselves and sacrifice of ourselves. And Lord, thank you that you are a constant that we can grab onto. That in a culture that feels like just constant wind of change and pulling people in different directions and all of this noise, God, we thank you that you are a stable presence in the midst of the crisis and the storm. But God, it's up to us if we want to grab onto that stability. And so, Lord, I pray that we will be intentional this summer about building some of these practices into our lives that can actually invite us into real stability with you. So, Lord, we love you. And the only reason we love you is because your word says that you first loved us. And it's out of that love that we go into this world. So it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen.